stand to hear the good news of your salvation as it is written in the gospel according to St. John. In the 17th chapter, beginning in the 13th verse. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world that they may have that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the, in the truth. Your word is truth. This is the gospel of the Lord. Pray. You may be seated. Apologies, we didn't have our gospel reading on the screen up there. Well, good morning, everyone. turn off my alarm here so everyone's not hearing that. Let's open with a word of prayer. Father, guys, we come before you this morning to hear your word preached and proclaimed. I ask that you would open our hearts and minds to what you have for us and close our ears to any error that I may speak. And Lord, as we <clears throat> conclude our Lenten series on the, on the disciplines, on the Lenten disciplines, and we conclude our series with the reading of your word. Father, I ask that you would just help us to continue to meditate on these things. That you would help us to meditate on the value of scripture, on the value of reading your word, on the value of this gift that you have given us, this holy book. Father God, I ask that if we are not folks who have read it, that you would, that you would encourage us this morning to do such a thing that you would really impress it upon our hearts, the value of this book you have given it to us, this love letter from the God of the universe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So uh, Martin Luther, if you've not read Martin Luther, he's uh, famous, or if you've never heard of Martin Luther, um, if you're new to the church, Martin Luther was a famous, um, he's famous for the Reformation. Uh, he's a famous biblical scholar. He's famous for taking a lot of stands. He's famous for drinking beer. He's famous for a lot of things. He was a feisty German scholar. He was a feisty German monk. He was feisty in a lot of ways. He wrote this one thing in the, his Galatians commentary. He wrote a lot of commentaries. He wrote a lot of things. But his Galatians commentary writes this. Nothing is more perilous than to be weary of the word of God. Thinking he knows enough, a person begins little by little to despise the word until he has lost Christ and the gospel altogether. It's a great quote, right? It's a great quote. And it's a snare that I think a lot of us as Christians fall into. I don't know, have you ever been weary of the word of God? Have you ever kind of drifted away from the word of God? Now, I'm not talking if you've never developed that discipline. So if, if you're at home or you're here and you're watching and you've never really developed the discipline of reading scripture, that's one thing. But if you are a Christian who's never, who, who, who's, who started out reading scripture and then kind of got bored with it, 
why did you get bored with it? Why did you get weary with it? And that's what Martin Luther really here is talking about. He's asking us, he's saying, why do we get weary with it? it there's, there's, a, there's a trap that we as believers fall into. And we can, we can fall into this trap for a lot of reasons. So one of the things that I'm fond of comparing the Bible to, or even our faith to, is, is an onion. Now, an onion's maybe not an attractive thing to think about. I don't like onions. I used to, in youth group, do this thing. We would have this game, and we would do caramel uh, apples, and we would hang them from a rope, and we would suspend them. We would blindfold people, and we would have this contest where everyone would go, and they would try to bite into the caramel apples. And one of them, of course, I would dip into uh, the caramel was an onion. And everybody would bite, and then somebody would get the onion. It would be gross. It was just kind of this funny little gag thing that we would play in youth group. Uh, so it was kind of gross. But every once in a while, you get the person who thought the onion was like an apple and really loved onions. And they, oh, it's delicious. Okay, whatever. But an onion has different layers. If you've ever peeled off an onion and you kind of peel it off, it's got a different layer, different layer, different layer. And so our faith and the Word of God is, you can often compare it to an onion. It's got different layers. Now, a lot of people, when they come to an onion, pick up that onion and say, man, it's an onion. That's all there is to it. And other people begin to peel it back. And as you begin to peel back the layers of an onion, you get to sweeter and sweeter layers. You get down to the core of the onion. It gets better and better. If you prefer, maybe an artichoke. As you get down to the different layers of the artichoke, it gets better and better on the inside of the artichoke. I prefer artichokes to onions, so maybe that's a better example for me. Until you get to the heart of the artichoke. A lot of Christians approach Scripture this way. They see the Bible, and maybe you're that person. You saw the Bible one time. You say, yep, I've seen the Bible. That's all I need to know. And other people, they read the Bible a little bit, and they go away, and they're like, man, I've read it a little bit. That's all I need to know. Other people might go a little bit deeper. You see, I'm very sophisticated. I've learned about the Bible. I know all that there is to know, and now I've applied it. That's, I've learned it. I was in college at Virginia Tech, and I had a lot of guys. So people ask me how I know about uh, German liberals or what I would call revisionist theology. I like the term liberal, liberal Christians is one term, but we get so confused with political, the blue team and the red team. I don't like to use the blue team and red team um, uh, uh, terminology because it, it gets muddled and everyone thinks I'm talking about one team or the other. And we've got such pom-poms these days, right? So if I say blue team or red team, everyone's like, ah! So I don't want to do that. All right, so... Uh, I'm going to say uh, German liberals, right? Uh, not blue team or red team. I'm not using that language. Don't, ah, whatever. Okay. So, uh, so when you kind of peel back this thing, on, 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 when I went to Virginia Tech, I had a lot of German liberal side, and they would study this word, and they, these, these scholars would study the word, but they never really actually used the word, and so they never understood it, and they never actually applied it to anything, so they thought they had an understanding of it, but it never really worked its way in, and so they never really grasped it. They were folks who thought they had it, but never really learned anything about it. But they, interestingly enough, would keep on studying and studying it more and more so they could write really interesting papers. But they never really got it. They loved this onion. They would mine this onion for all it's worth, and yet I would sit in their class day after day, and the most simple things to a Christian that we understood they had no clue what they were talking about. Now, this baffled me because in the same class, I would have Christians who should be mining this thing for all it's worth, would have the most basic things, and they wouldn't understand it either because they didn't bother to read their Bible and dig any deeper. So why is it that we don't dig any deeper into Scripture? 
Have you found yourself bored with Scripture? Why have you found yourself bored? Ask yourself, why are you bored with the Word of God? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons. Well, I think there's many reasons, but here are some of the reasons. For some of us, Scripture may be too radical. Maybe you begin reading Scripture, and it begins to challenge you. Right? I see this all the time. Maybe it begins to really kind of poke at you a little too deeply. Makes you really uncomfortable. Right? And we see this now, right? The Bible is really uncomfortable for our culture. It says a lot of things that are super difficult for our culture. And so our culture labels everything in Scripture right now as morally bankrupt. You think about that. Our culture says Scripture is morally bankrupt. And so standing up for Scripture may be uncomfortable for you because you may have to change according to that. And sometimes it's not that it's going against Scripture, but it's really just kind of poking at your heart, and you don't want to do that. A lot of people do that. Like you read the Bible, and you're just kind of like, I want to I want to not, that's the part's uncomfortable. I don't want to skip it. I kind of go away. Other people, we read the Bible, and we read the Bible, and we think we've kind of gotten to a certain level, and we're, we just get bored with it because I think I've learned it, and I just want to walk away. We just don't want to push ourselves. We get mentally lazy. We get mentally lazy. I just don't want to put forth the effort. It's just too hard for us, right? I'd rather be watching movies. I'd rather be doing my hobbies. I'd rather be watching the Netflix show. And then other times we get to where I got to. I, I, was, a, I was a youth leader in, in, a, in a particular denomination. And, uh, and, and I had a bunch of priests at the time. And they didn't know how to go any deeper. And I didn't know how to get any deeper. And so I kind of got stuck because nobody knew how to take me any deeper. And so sometimes the Bible can get boring because of that. And then there's another reason. And I see this one all the time. We study Scripture, and we study Scripture, and we study Scripture. But we never actually do anything with it. We never actually live it. We never actually apply it in our lives. You see, we, when we do that, we start to become jaded and cynical. We kind of have all these opinions on Scripture, and Scripture becomes to us this book of study it becomes something, we, and then we, we begin going and we, we, we listen to this pastor and that pastor, and we begin to start critiquing sermons, and we begin to start critiquing all the theology, and we begin to start taking this kind of theological book and that kind of theological book. We begin to start critiquing congregations and whatever else when we go on Sundays, and this, this kind of boredom wells up within us because we're not actually giving out. We're just filling in but not giving out. Nothing is going out of us. There's no outflow. And so what happens when you eat and you eat and you eat and you eat, but you don't actually do anything? We just kind of, we kind of get heavier and heavier. So, but this is like a spiritual that. And, and, but in, and spiritually, we, we get jaded is what actually happens. We kind of get this jaded nature. We're not actually doing output. If we're not careful, it comes out in two ways. We get cynical or we get bored. 
if we get bored or cynical, then we begin to church hop and we begin to jump and jump and jump, looking for that next flavor, that next exciting thing, because we're not actually doing something. So if you're out there in the church doing things with your faith, out there in the community, and I mean like helping with the poor or starting ministries, leading Bible studies, discipling stuff, leading Sunday school programs, doing whatever, if you're actually out there in the community or in the church leading ministries or discipling people or making a difference with your faith, you don't really have time to be cynical and jaded because you are pouring your faith into others and that which is coming in you spiritually is now going out of you spiritually and you're like, you've got this inflow and outflow and it's now becoming a healthy cycle and then church and the Bible becomes something that's needed. Right? You're too busy to become cynical and jaded. You need the fellowship. You need the reading of Scripture. You need all of these things. You've got a healthy flow. And that's what we're made to do. And so we no longer get jaded and we have this healthy cycle. Thomas, uh, Os Guinness writes of Thomas Lenacre, who was the king's physician to Henry VII and Henry VIII of England founder of the Royal College of Physicians and friend of the great Renaissance thinkers Erasmus and Sir Thomas More. Late in his life, Lenacre studied to be a priest, and he was given a copy of the Gospels to read for the first time. The first time. And this is what he writes. Lenacre, or sorry, he lived through the, the darkest of the church's hours. The papacy of Alexander VI, the Borgia Pope, whose bribery, this was a pope, whose bribery, corruption, a pope, Bribes, corruption, incest, murder, plumb the new depths in the annals of Christian shame. Reading the Gospels for himself, Lenacre was amazed and troubled and says this, Either these are not the Gospels or we are not Christians. He's astonished by what he sees all around him. All these men supposedly defending the Gospel, they're not living it. How did they get there? They were jaded. They weren't outputting. They were inputting, but they were doing nothing with it. Something had become clogged. And they were becoming bloated with the gospel. They were becoming bloated with the scriptures. Something had become sick in the system. It was like a dam that had become welled up and welled up until it was going to explode in an unhealthy manner. They embodied the warning which Luther gave. First Timothy 3, 14, and 15 in our passage this morning. I hope to come to you soon, he says, but I am writing these things to you because if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. And this is what he's writing. He's writing to the apostles. So this is an instruction to presbyters. I'm a presbyter. Got another presbyter here. A presbyter means an elder, right? Now, elder kind of maybe is a, is a bad um, terminology because Timothy's not an elder, uh, but it's a leader of the church. He's a teacher in the church. And so Paul is writing to instruct him how to lead, and by extension, and we use this passage because it teaches us how we are to be. So he's to be a presbyter, but this is what we're supposed to do. Here Paul's writing to him. He wants him to see how to function. And here's what he says later on in the passage, 1 Timothy 4, 12 to 14. Let no one despise you for your youth, 
But set the, as the believers, set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. In speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And how do we do that? How does he learn that? I would submit to you that he learns all of these things through the scriptures. At that time, he's learning them through the teachings of the apostles, which are going to be written down in the scriptures. But he's learning all of these through the scriptures. The Old Testament at that time, and then the New Testament and the teachings of the scriptures. This is what we have. This is how we learn these things. This is how you learn these things. We learn it through the teaching of the scriptures. Are you applying yourselves to reading, digesting, learning, and then outputting, practicing the scriptures? Are you outputting? Or are you becoming clogged up like the dam? Like a beaver when he clogs the river. What happens? It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and you've got you to gotta like break that dam to let it flow in a healthy manner. Is, is your life becoming clogged? It's like a clogged artery in your heart. What happens? It builds, it builds, it builds behind that clogged artery. And then really bad things happen. You die. The same thing with a river. You've got to blow that river open and let it flow freely. Are you clogged? You need to practice these things. Is there a practice of these things happening in your life? And where do you learn it? You learn it through Scripture. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. Where do we learn the public reading of Scripture? Where do we read Scripture publicly? Anybody? Church. Church. This is 101 stuff, people. I have to work with people all the time. I don't know why. Coming to church is not like something that you get a gold star for. It's like 101 of Christianity. When I was a teenager, even when my parents were getting a divorce and they were leaving and, and they were going to different churches, I still went to church on my own as a 16-year-old every week. Kelly went to church in Kyle every week. This isn't like a difficult thing. Some people are like, oh, go once a month. That's just so awesome. No. When you're a baby Christian, okay. But if you've been a Christian for any length of time, this is something we're supposed to do. Why? Because Scripture says it. Because God says it. If you've been confirmed, you pledge to it. If you've baptized your children, you've pledged to it. Not to me. Who cares what you pledge to me? I may be an awesome person to some people. Other people are like, ah! Who cares? You pledged it to whom? Jesus, to God. Did we put a gun to your head? Did anyone get confirmed with a gun to their head? Anyone have a... No, nothing has happened. You pledged it, I didn't. Did you mean your promises to the Lord? Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to the exhortation, to the teaching. The exhortation is the preaching, to the teaching, to the preaching to the pushing forward of Scripture. Devote yourselves to it. Are you devoted to it? So you need to be devoted to it, not only in the church, but then you also need to go out and preach the gospel to be out there. So we have presbyters that are called. They have a special role in the church. But you also are to be out there exhorting, teaching. This was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders, elders laid their hands on you. So he's being taught this as a pastor or as a teaching elder, depending on the denomination you came from, in our group as a priest, which means same thing, means presbyter. And this is what we're supposed to do. 
the public reading of the scriptures. This has been passed on to us, by the way, since the Old Testament times. Not just New Testament, Old Testament. This has been done for thousands of years. You all sitting here are inheriting a thing which has been done for thousands upon thousands of years. That's what we've done. The things that are happening in this church have been done for thousands upon thousands of years. We have all these new traditions, these newfangled things, that because of a new author that's been given to us, you know, in the last 10 years. This is a new way to do things. And we do learn some new things. It's not, <clears throat> I'm not knocking any new things. However, <clears throat> we also have traditions that have been given to us from thousands upon thousands of years. And we think those are valuable. Why are they valuable? Because they've been passed down. We understand that there are certain rhythms and things that we need to do. Timothy would read them as their leader. The congregation would listen and learn and likely memorize. The Bible was their lifeblood. These folks lived and died for the faith. They lived and died for the word of God. They were persecuted for it. Often being a Christian would cost them financially and perhaps lead to torture and death. Living for Jesus was a serious thing. Now living for Jesus means what? Oftentimes we have to give up our tea time on Sunday morning. Right? And we struggle with that. I've literally had people tell me, Jeff, you gotta end up, you gotta end church earlier because I, I gotta catch the football kickoff. I literally had a couple angry at me for that. So you have the preaching, you have discipleship, you have worship. Then you have Bible studies. You have gathering together for Bible studies. But you also, so the, 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 the gathering together of Christians for Bible studies is an important thing. You don't have to do it with the church, but you should be doing it on your own with other folks. You need to gather together with other believers to discuss scriptures, and you should be reading scriptures on your own. Are you doing all of those things? These are the things that we need to do. All of this is designed to grow. Now, at times you're not going to click with a sermon, at times, you're going to fade in and out. But here's what I would suggest. And I, this is what I've learned through my time. There are times when liturgy gets boring. There are times when service is boring. And what happens is you need to analyze yourself. A lot of times that says more about us than the service. There's, there's a point when you're a new Christian where everything's exciting. And there's a point when then it gets boring, right? When you're a new Christian, it's like up and down and up and down and up and down. At first, it's up, and then it's up and down and up and down. And you've got to get through that up and down. And then there's a little bit of period of time where things get kind of droll. And what you're really doing is you're learning to kind of settle in to the rhythm of being a Christian. And then after a while, you learn the discipline, if you stick with it, of being a Christian. Think about this. Whatever your field that you're most excited in, if you're an athlete, when you first got to football practice, it killed you. Later on, it might have been exciting, or a musician, or whatever it is that you put yourself to that you really enjoy now, were you awesome at it right away? When you first started, you remember the excitement of starting that thing. But then what happened like six months in? Was practicing piano, or football, or, or going to school as a nurse, or whatever your job was. Six months in, it wasn't so much fun anymore, was it? Or whenever. You get that period where it's not fun. Did you all quit? Or did you stick it out? We all know we have to stick it out and we have to get through the doldrums to get out on the other side, to get deeper. 
And we all know that after we get out on the other side, there are going to be days when things are boring. All jobs aren't interesting. We have to learn that. Only a child thinks that things are going to be interesting all the time. That's the thinking of a three-year-old. You have to grow up and get beyond that. And yet somehow, grown adults think that their faith is going to always be exciting. In every other facet of their life, they understand that life isn't always going to be exciting, except when they get to church. Somehow, church must always be exciting. It must be like when I watch football, or go to the music concert, or go to the movies or whatever else. But it's not. And that's what faith teaches us. There is a discipline to the faith. And that's why Martin Luther, by the way, says we do liturgy. Look, we can worship without liturgy. But liturgy teaches us the rhythm and the nature of prayer. Cramner says the same thing. It teaches us how to discipline our young. When my kids were young, they were squirmy and squirrely, but we keep them in church. Why? Because eventually they learn the rhythm and the nature of it. They learn the discipline of sitting in there, and it saturates them to the point where my kids were teenagers, not teenagers, they were young, and we went to a, a church in seminary where they couldn't do the liturgy, and I thought, man, they're going to learn to love this, and they were like, dad, we really miss the liturgy. Why? We don't participate in anything. We don't get to take the Eucharist. We don't get to do anything. We just sit there and listen, and I was astonished, but they had grown up in it, and somehow it sank into them. There's a method to the madness. Churches have been doing it for 2,000 years. And the Jewish church had been doing it for thousands of years before that. The scriptural component via the Book of Common Prayer, which contains scripture, mostly, right? The reading of prayer, the preaching, are all critical to the Eucharist. You can't take communion without going through the scriptural portion. These words are so valuable to us that Paul teaches Timothy, 1 Timothy 4, 15 and 16. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. That this teaching forms the backbone of Timothy's ministry as it did Paul's. And that's why he says, keep a close watch on it. Keep a close watch on your formation. Keep a close watch on your Christian formation. This is where we learn it. This is where we learn the story of redemption, the creation, the fall, the second coming, the judgment. Scripture contains 66 books with thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years of knowledge, all written to you from the God of the universe. I would submit to you that it is more important to learn that book than any other book you will read. And yet, our society wants to bend to the New York Times or the Washington Post or the latest intellectual that is catching the fad. And if you read from 50 years ago, they did the same thing. And 50 years before that, they did the same thing. And 50 years before that, and 100 years before that, and 1,000 years before that. And whatever year, whatever generation, there's an intellectual, there's a group that says that they are brighter and better and smarter. And you know where they are all are now? They're all dead. And we don't remember any of them. But you know what is still around? The God of the universe. Take time to read this book. Set aside 
time to train yourself in it. Five minutes a day. Move to ten minutes a day. We have a daily lectionary you can read. You can read some scripture. You don't have to read all of it if you're new. Don't worry about that. Just read some of it. Pick the Old Testament. Pick the New Testament. If a part is boring, skip that part and go to the next part. Just read. Study in a group. Study in a Bible study. Find a Bible study that's interesting to you. All of these things are critical to learning Scripture. All should be part of your faith work. Regular church attendance, the 101 of Christianity. It's a basic. No serious Christian should ever have to be convinced of this. If you aren't doing this, look. <laughs> I, if you aren't coming to church on Sundays, you aren't obeying Scripture. I know I'm preaching to the choir here. Okay, at home. If you aren't coming to church on Sundays, and I know some of you can't come to church on Sundays right now, if you aren't watching regularly, you aren't in obedience to Scripture. We know this from Acts, Hebrews, the Old Testament, the New Testament. There's never been a time when this hasn't been a true, so there's no excuse here. But after that, the rest is simply developing the discipline, just like you would in every area of life. How did you learn math? You went to class and did the homework. How did you become a runner, learn to cook, learn to climb, become a sower, musician, actor, whatever? You become stronger in Scripture the same way. Apply yourself, folks. Practice it. Work at it. Make it a priority whenever it's, even when it's not fun, and sooner or later it'll pay off. Only unlike all these other things, the payoff is eternal. The payoff is more substantial. And yes, it's eternal, but I would even submit to you this. Even though it's eternal, while you're here on earth, it touches everything you do. And the payoff is even here and now. It'll even pay off with you.